Welcome back to the podcast. I am, man, it's good to be here. I'm going to try out a new style of podcasting, and I did it with my good buddy, Michael Ring, because Michael and I go way back, and uh, as I'm trying out this new format, I got to be able to be like, no, 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 let's stop. Let's start that again. So you're going to see us trying to have a conversation that is about the subject of untying a knot, and this particular knot we're going to talk about is the craziness that's going on with the beef cattle herd in the United States. Michael does a good job of explaining uh, why the herd is so low and uh, what all is going on that might uh, might make beef prices go up in the future. Well, I am excited because I am going to get back out on the road. My daughter is one year old, which means it's easier for mom to take over for a couple of days. So I've started to book some speaking gigs and I've got a big tour coming up in the fall and then in the winter. But to kick it all off on Saturday, August 26th, I am going to be at Stock Cropper Field Day. You guys might remember me uh, doing an interview with Zach Smith who has come up with that ingenious cluster cluck, which is that Roomba that moves around um, uh, chickens to be able to lay eggs, but it autonomously moves them so they can keep finding new bugs in a person's lawn, keep fertilizing it and pecking away at the ground. Jason and Mock is gonna be there. Uh, there's gonna be other characters that are uh, all out there. They're calling it the herd of village idiots. This is going to be in Buffalo Center, Iowa. So if you are anywhere near the northern border of Iowa and uh, or the southern border of Minnesota, you ought to consider going. I have been to a field day of some of these crazy guys, and what you'll see out there is stuff that you're like, I didn't know this was going on. And uh, as you all know, Zach is um, this very interesting blend between big ag. He knows how to grow crops and he's uh, even was a seed salesman for Pioneer for some time. And uh, and he's also like raising animals. And uh, he promised me when I came up there that we'd get to have some fresh chicken slaughtered that day. So I am excited about it. Um, if you're interested, uh, just go check out Stock Cropper Field Day on Eventbrite and uh, check it out. I'm going to give a talk there about uh, taking chances and about uh, making the decisions in your life to do things that are not always easy. Don't you don't exactly know the path, but how you know at the end of the day, the things that people really value in their lives are the chances that they take. So, I'm excited about that. All right, without further ado, let's head to my interview with my man Michael Ring. Michael Ring, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. So, Michael, you and I have been talking for several months, and uh, you've convinced me that there's some uh, big old knot in the beef cattle industry. And uh, what is going on with the beef cattle herd in the United States right now? Well, we're actually at a really interesting juncture in the cattle cycle that uh, we have gone through several years of drought in the West. And so we are at record low cow numbers uh, we haven't seen cow numbers this low since the 60s, actually. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We were coming up on um, the age of our producers kept increasing. Like, I haven't seen numbers this year, but we had an average age of beef producers of 58.3 last time USDA had a survey. And uh, so there's a lot of guys that cashed out during the droughts and that hasn't stopped now with record high uh, feeder cattle prices as well as fat cattle prices. So um, we're at an interesting juncture because 
uh, feedlots um, have have record high prices, and it's kind of uh, a different situation. Usually, packers are making more money, and right now they are not uh, because they're having to pay so much for fat cattle. So it's just we get we get uh, maybe two years of this out of eight to twelve in the cattle cycle, where where we have profitability like like this, and it'll be interesting to see how long it continues. So you were raising cattle um, in in a feed yard, right? And you people send you their cattle and you feed them out. Are you guys having a good profit margin or the costs of commodities like corn and uh, all the amendments that you have to feed them cutting into those margins? So we have um, quite a few luxuries in the cattle feeding business that we are in. Uh, my family has a, a custom feed yard where we we essentially bring in a bushel of corn, have X markup uh, for our profit margin and shrink and handling, and then we get to sell it out into an investor's calf. Um, so we we are just the middleman in that. Um, now my my cow calf uh, herd of my own is a little bit different than that. Well, very different than that. Where yet uh, margins. Um, are tighter on uh, expensive feed. We aren't we aren't as high on on corn as we were last summer. We were more expensive last summer, but uh, the problem that we are going to see now with feed yards for the guys that own the cattle is that the feeder cattle are getting so high that even despite record high fat cattle prices, they aren't necessarily profitable. the The profit right now is in growing calves. So let's break this down. So um, you talked about feeder cattle and fat cattle, and people talk about cow-calf operations. Let me see if I understand it, and you can correct me. So there are people that specialize in raising cows that are producing babies, and then that those calves go into a feeder system, which is where they then go out onto pasture, and then they're eating grass as long as there's not such a big drought that they have to be fed hay. And they get to a certain size and then they get sold or brought to a feed yard where they then become fat cattle. Is this correct? Yeah, more or less. And they can change hands a few times in between. And so where are the people that are doing well in this right now making money? Which of those groups are doing well? Well, the people that find value are the ones that always do well. But if you have to pick a group, cow-calf looks pretty lucrative right now, depending on your area of the country. If you have feed, you have a lot of opportunity right now. And feed meaning if you have pastures or you were able to get cheap hay, or what does that mean? I think the more correct thing I should have said is if you have rain, you're doing well right now. So, I mean, as a person living in the city, I have no concept for who has rain right now. Is it pretty dry out there? It's really patchy. Now that's, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here because it's it's so patchy. Um, we have absolutely record rainfall for my friends, like out in, in Los Animas in southeast Colorado. There's water sitting everywhere in the desert. But then if you get down actually into, um, I believe, eastern Kansas and most of Missouri is still pretty bad. Um, but there is a lot of a lot of the country that is wetter. Now, 
we are in northern Illinois. We also we'll always get some rain, um, but we are actually in a in a decent drought right now. Our our corn is going to be nowhere near last year for yield. And so the the cattle prices are going for you said record highs. Um, and yet you also mentioned that producer or like the uh, packing houses are not making money. How is that possible? So I think there's somewhat of a disconnect there um, sometimes because, you know, people think, okay, well, you know, beef cattle prices are record high. Um, everybody's making money, um, but there's actually, there's different segments. And the differentiation I think we need to make is there's feeder cattle, which is a weaned calf say 600 pounds or so there's a fat cattle market which is the ones ready to go to market that are 12 to 1500 pounds depending on their frame size and then there's this entirely separate side of the market once they go to a processor that is um, the wholesale and retail markets of the actual physical beef so what i mean by that profitability is um, the processors are having to pay record fat cattle prices, but the prices of beef in the store actually isn't that much higher in the last two years. So those guys, um, if this deal continues and it looks like it will, where we get uh, less and less cows in the country, that ultimately leads to fewer fat cattle around. And then we have a, um, surplus of what we call shackle space which is uh, you know one shackle is where you hang one leg of a calf when it's going through a processor and um, if we have a lot of extra shackle space uh, and processors are fighting over cattle then ultimately you have um, basically three outcomes and the worst of which we saw last time we were at this point in the cattle cycle the worst thing that can happen is that a couple major packers close and that will crash the market the way it did in 2015. The other options... And is no, that because... Ahead. Let me see if I understand. That's because you have um, packers that are actually going to these auctions and they're buying these cattle or maybe they're not even going to auction. They're just buying them straight off a lot. But they come in and they say, I'm willing to pay this much for it. And if the if the price goes too high then you know some people are just not going to be able to buy at that price or not be profitable. So then they stop buying, and then eventually there becomes so few cows going through that packing house that they say, all right, it's not even worth it for us to keep this facility open, have all the employees do all the maintenance on the equipment. And then when that happens, then all of the demand that that packing house was bringing, bringing to bear in the market evaporates. And then all of a sudden prices start falling because there's less people competing for those same cattle. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. That is that is the most extreme outcome. And that is the one that we saw last time in the cattle cycle when we were at this point. So what else could happen here? Uh, well, the other options would be that we would see um, some kind of demand destruction. Uh so if we have a, a recession, that could affect beef prices if, if less consumers are buying, um, which also doesn't help the processor. Um, and then the other one would be 
that they just the processors just hemorrhage money until we rebuild the cattle herd and that one is the most long term to happen but i my guess is somebody would blink before that and what does blinking look like uh major plant closures and and to be fair like they saw this coming there's actually a plant in uh Tama, Iowa last summer that had a hole dug had rock in the hole I didn't see it myself but this is what I've been told we we sell them cattle and they they looked at the economic factors coming into this and they was like wow we will lose so much money if we put it in this ex- expansion that they were looking at and um so they just pushed the hole in and so that at a, at the very least is is reflecting something right that 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 expansion that people were trying to make or companies were trying to make that to get bigger so they could have economies of scale have come back and it's just too expensive to keep that going yeah for sure so now you've talked about this thing happening as a cycle that that the cattle herd always has a cycle what is that all about well it's it's basically just um the supply and demand curve more or less um it correlates with other things around it that it isn't just like a purely supply and demand market like we have all these externalities like if you have an extreme drought for three years then that is just going to reduce your cow herd and then you have more demand um so Last time we had a really bad drought was 2012, I believe. And so, you know, we had this big drawdown and then we had prices go up and up and up through 14 into 15 and then they rolled over um, once we had a plant shutter. And then uh, so the, the cattle cycle is between 8 and 12 years and that it just repeats over and over um, as herd expansion happens and then it contracts. Because there's so much lag in between the market signals, right? Because if you're going to have a, a, a fattened cow, right? And you just wanted to start today to get one out and be able to sell it. You, if you got it pregnant, the mama pregnant today, you wouldn't even have that fatted calf until 2026, right? Yeah, you're right on. Yeah. And that would be if you kept a heifer today from a spring if if you had a calf born this spring or summer and then you you grew her for a year until she was ready to breed you bred her and let her gestate and calved her that would be nine months and then you, you go around again for another year for about 14 months to get that calf fat and that's that's yeah you're looking at 2026 right now so if we look out to times like 2026, what do you see on the horizon? How does this not, I mean, you talked about ways that it gets worked out. What are, what are things that are going to happen in between now and then? Oh boy. Um, well, we're already seeing uh, some pretty good prices on uh, bread cows, depending where you're at. Um, because that's the, one of the fastest ways to get turnaround is is start buying bread cows if you're a producer um so there's just gonna be i don't know we kind of laid it out already it's either you just build it up slowly um or 
you know, we have other factors come in that tell us we have less demand. And so we'll stay where we're at or only go up a little bit. Right. So what's all this talk about? Um, I hear people like Dwayne Faber talking about how they're breeding dairy cows into the beef herd. What, what, first of all, what is that? And is that something that's new? And what does this mean for this whole cycle? Yeah, we, uh, my family actually has been working um, with programs for that for quite a long time now. And what they are referring to is that dairy cattle, um, they don't finish as well, as quickly uh, as beef cattle do. Um, and so the calves from the cows, if, if you have a steer calf, on a dairy cow, they aren't worth that much because they don't gain as well as a beef calf and they have no other purpose, right? So what dairy started doing was breeding their cows that they knew weren't going to be um, seed stock. They weren't going to keep the heifers back out of them. They would breed them to a beef bull and then you'd have a, a half beef animal and it would gain better. And so we virtually eliminated Holstein steers in the US in like two years. You just do not see them anymore because you either breed the top 20% of your cows to sexed heifer semen or you stick a straw of, of a beef bull in them. And so, and, and the same thing with, with jerseys and all the others. Um, Holsteins are typically more continental, like an Angus cross and jerseys are, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Holsteins are British, like it, like an Angus, and Jerseys are continental, like a limousine or a Galvi. So we've been we've been working with dairies on that for a long time, um, and feeding the calves out here. And and a neat thing that has been happening more recently is that um, people have been pulling eggs out of beef cows and implanting them in dairy cows and then you get a straight beef calf out it's not genetically related to the mother oh wow so and and there's something if you're not in the in the dairy industry you might not know that in order for a cow to be able to continue to milk it's got to be pregnant and it doesn't need to uh, have that baby and and love it and be around it all the time but it does need to get pregnant have the baby um, in order to keep producing milk and so the, that's the reason that you're AIing or artificially inseminating these cattle. And instead of just being like, well, let's just keep cranking out, you know, a Holstein with a Holstein. Now they're saying, oh, let's, let's have it with these beef cattle. And then you can put them in the herd. And now you're even saying they're going all the way to straight up IVF where they harvest the eggs from, from, uh, from beef cattle, get them, uh, inseminated by a beef bull and then have the Holstein or the Jersey, whatever the milker is, um, have have a, a baby that's not its. Yeah, and I'll take you one wilder than that. You can pull the reproductive tracts out of cows as they go to, into a slaughter plant and then extract the eggs out of those and fertilize them and put them in so you have reduced costs. Wow, that is interesting and is probably the beginning of an amazing dystopian futuristic tale. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, the other thing about the dairy cross 
and our existing cow herd numbers is cattle have gotten bigger and these dairy cross calves add more pounds in a in a shorter amount of time um so by extension of all of our finish weights being higher on beef cattle, we actually need less cattle in the herd. Oh, that's really interesting. So because we've been able to put more weight on each cow or each ca- each of the cattle that is going through there, um, do you have to have less cattle? Yeah, yeah. And, and we've seen that we topped out on cattle numbers in the 70s. Um, and it's funny, if you look in old show pictures, they were like really tall and skinny. And they've just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger in that frame over time. Um, so we actually need uh, less cattle around for the same pounds. And like we're probably pretty far down the asymptote at this point on on how far we can go on that. Well, when you look at this knot, you're in the business. Is this uh, is this something that worries you or like, ah, this is just the way that it is? Yeah, I mean, there's I think. In terms of answering that, I think there's two levels to it because we look at the cattle industry as national. You know, we're in the U.S., we have our own rules here, and it's kind of its own market, and then we have import and export. Um, and so you have the national level of this, and then you have like the individual producer, individual sovereignty level of this. And so... Y- we kind of have two different two different things to talk about here so at the at the national level um from my perspective most of what we're going to what we could change has to do with policy and that's whether that's um policy around trade um food security food security is national security um or whether that's you know, labeling, which is an extension of trade currently. Um, a lot of the national stuff, yeah, it, it's around. There, there's some questions about uh, fair markets um, with packer pricing, but ultimately, we're kind of. You're you're just asking yourself how much you want to regulate things with the government versus not, um, and then. At the individual level, uh, you are you're making a conscious choice uh, to participate here, and you have to decide whether you want to be in a commodity market or not. That is a race to the bottom for profitability on on who can be the lowest cost producer, or whether you're going to try and carve out a niche for yourself, do direct to consumer, or even um, whether that's one-on-one with you talking to every person or finding a co-op that has some specific niche. I think there's some room for like a mini Amazon in several regions in terms of um, fresh food. I, I actually uh, have a friend that's up by the Twin Cities that's into one of those um, that's kind of like a CSA mixed with Amazon um, that there's a third-party guy that all he does is run that. He's not even a farmer. And that's been going really well. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, And then, yeah, you can do direct to consumer. You can try and do grass-fed, organic, all natural, you know, all that stuff. Um, 
and try and you know reward um have the market reward you if you can find a place in it that is not just commodity based but otherwise um there's not a whole lot of getting around the commodity market um other than like you can the guys that do the best in that are the guys that seem to be that that are really good at hedging which i enjoy personally um with uh blocking in your your sell prices and your feed prices at the at the right times um but yeah i i think it's a lifestyle and ultimately there will always be people with cattle as long as the government lets us and probably if they don't um because people love it i mean it's really in touch with the land and i i have yet to meet someone that will raise a hog for a loss but there's people that love it with cattle and it doesn't matter what they're making. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, maybe the last question, if you, if somebody's out there and they love eating beef, but they don't raise it, they don't know that much about it, they're looking and they're hearing what you're saying about the kind of craziness of the, the beef herd, what would you recommend to that person? Should they go out and fill a freezer full of beef? Should they wait and buy at the right time? Or what? no change at all? Well, I don't think anyone would regret finding a high-quality producer to buy direct from. Oftentimes, we um, have really competitive rates if you have uh, bulk orders, if you're able to do that. Um, and I, I don't think we're really going to have a food crisis in this country by any means. Um so I'm not I'm not really worried about that. But if you if you care about where your food comes from, um, then I'd be happy to even if you aren't near me, point you towards someone if I know someone um, to find a, a high quality aged product. Well, um, man, you know that we buy all of our beef from you, the Ring Brothers Beef. Um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, chat with you about uh, cattle, where would they go? Well, uh, my twin brother Joseph and I are on Twitter, and uh, maybe you can link that in the show notes. Um, but then we also have a website that's ringbrothersbeef.com. All right, Michael. Thank you so much for hopping on here. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully the knot as it gets untied in uh, beef cattle uh, benefits you on its way out. Thank you. It was fun.